right. Jamila Green Ruins Everything is satire. It's comedy. It centers around themes of, and so I just said satire and comedy, but keep in mind, the themes are around Islamic terrorism, mother-daughter relationships, friendships, grief, and loss. And so that's what you have to keep in mind (laughs) when I say satire is that as an author, Zarka Nawaz is not going to take these very serious topics that seriously. Hello, hi, I'm Erin Vandevin. Thanks for joining me today. This is Medium Lady Talks. This podcast is about figuring out the medium effort way to get the most out of life today. I hope the things I unpack here can role model and invite you to sort out your own ways to live life in the present. This is a show about experimenting to get closer to what matters most. I'm glad you're here, so let's settle in. Hello, hi, and welcome to Medium Lady Talks, episode 44. I'm your host, Erin, and today we're going to talk about books. I am playing with a bit of new structure for my book episodes. If you've been here before, thank you so much for listening, and you'll know that typically I run through all the books that I've read over a season. So what I would be doing right now would be reviewing all the books that I read over the summer of 2022. And as I invest more and more in my reading habit, which I love to read, it's absolutely my number one favorite pastime, and I pay closer attention to the books that I'm reading, I actually find that I'm reading more and more and more books than I ever have before, which is awesome, but it doesn't necessarily translate to an easy way to make content, to make podcasts out of all those books. Between, uh, let's say, between Canada Day, July 1st, and Labor Day weekend, I read 20 books, which was awesome. It was my best summer of reading yet. But thinking about what you want as a listener... What you really want is to know about the books, those books that were really great. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to do three loves, two likes, one bummer, and one book I'm obsessed with. And that's going to give you six books. And uh, I'm going to still talk about things like, you know, know yourself. And I'm going to talk, continue to talk about why it's important to pay attention to what you do like to read and what you don't like to read. Because by doing that over the last 18 months or so, I have really found myself closer and closer to knowing with more certainty whether a book is for me or not. And some of the books that I'll talk about today, I will explain why they are particularly awesome for me. They're particularly following in my real sweet spot for reading. And I'm hoping that that will help you determine your own sweet spot for reading. You'll be able to say for yourself, oh yeah, I'm like that too. Or no, I've never really thought of it that way. And I don't think that book really sounds for me as a way to get closer to what you like and further away from what you don't. There is a lot of pressure out there in the book world for us to be consuming what appears to be hot and fresh, and there's all kinds of publishers sending advanced reader copies or ARC copies of their books so that they can be read before the release date, so that they can garner a lot of buzz. And I want us all to just kind of briefly disconnect from the buzz And pay attention to what we really want to be reading because it doesn't matter if everybody else sees what you're reading. What matters is if you can find the books that really speak to you and that you have a good funnel of incoming information that is 
giving you lots of opportunities and options to choose the books that you love. So that's what I'm hoping to be today. I'm hoping to add value to your reading life by giving you a couple of options for books and allowing you to make the decision of what you decide to read or not. If you're new here, thank you so much for listening. And you want to connect with me after this episode, you can find me on Instagram. I'm at medium.lady over there. And if you want to listen to other book episodes, you can just scroll back the whole month of July, episode 38, 39, 40, and 41 were all about books. It was the whole Medium Lady Reads series. Those are my latest episodes about books. It doesn't feel like it was that long ago. I mean, this is only episode 44, and it was only three episodes that we uh, did, a, did a book episode, but here we are. We're going to run through three loves, two likes, one bummer, and one book I'm obsessed with. With no further ado, I will uh, just kick us off. The first book I'm going to talk about that I loved is a book called Yerba Buena. I hope I'm saying that. Yerba Buena, Yerba Buena. It's by Nina LaCour. This book is a LGBTQIA plus love story. It centers around themes of childhood trauma and queer love. I found this book, and you'll notice I always love to tell you where I'm finding my books because I make a point of pulling my recommendations from lots of different spots. This was from a Good Housekeeping article. In the summer, I'm just going to digress before I tell you about Yerba Buena. So in the summer, I tend to read magazines on my e-reader from the library, and I don't do this all year round. Like, I'm not a regular magazine reader. But for whatever reason, summer hits and I just find myself downloading on Libby a ton of magazines. And one of them was Good Housekeeping. And they did a fantastic article on diverse reading recommendations for the summer. And it included a ton of fantastic books, two of which I'm going to talk about today. But actually, I read, I think I pulled four recommendations from that article. I've read three of them and I loved all three of them. So that actually might be an article that I go back to. But that's a really good example of a surprising place to pull a book recommendation from. So I found Irba Buena by Nina LaCour from a Good Housekeeping article. And let me give you a bit of the Goodreads synopsis. Irba Buena is about two characters, um, Sarah Foster, who runs away from home. She sort of leaves her family behind through this traumatic series of events and develops into a, you know, amazing bartender. She's renowned for making brilliant, amazing cocktails. And then the other character, Emily Dubois, is sort of this character who's kind of had failure to launch through her whole life. Emily is a Creole background and Sarah is white. And eventually they meet together at a restaurant called Irba Buena, which is this glamorous um, restaurant in L.A. And they tend to cross paths over and over again. But eventually they make this immediate connection and start to fall in love. But of course, both for both of them, their lives start to catch up with them and everything they're sort of trying to grow up to become while also falling in love um, becomes really the crux of the story. And I think this book is really, you know, it kind of got to me over time. And and looking back, I wish I had savored it a little bit more. It was, I want to call it an easy read. But what I mean by that is Nina LaCour is really kind of efficient and effective with her language. 
the characters, the main characters are really beautiful. They both have unique points of view. Sarah comes from a very broken home and a very traumatic teenage backstory. Um, and Emily doesn't come from that same traumatic backstory, but she comes from a complex history and she's sort of carrying a bit of intergenerational trauma within her life. I really love the ending. I love how open-ended it was while also really still giving you, and this is a bit of a spoiler alert, the book does give you a happily ever after, although it's somewhat open-ended as, you know, we never know where our relationships are leading us. We never know where our relationships are going, um, but we're always hopeful. We're always hopeful to maintain connection, to grow together in love, to learn more about one another, to navigate challenges together. And that's really how this book ends as well. Um, if you liked Normal People by Sally Rooney, but you sort of left that book feeling a little bit depleted and depressed, uh, that I did for sure, this book is sort of for you. I, I think this book is offers something a little bit more uplifting, but it still does really intense character development from both Sarah and Emily. The rest of the cast surrounding them is really compelling and interesting. They take very interesting diverting paths before they meet up together. I think this book will definitely be over before you're ready and I would recommend it to anyone looking for, you know, like I said before, a really uplifting love story. And also if you're ready for love stories, this isn't a romance novel, but if you're ready for a love story that dive, that's diverse, that's telling a different story, a different point of view, different than, than all of our heteronormative, white, um, cisgendered relationships that are out there, this is really going to offer you um, something different while also still, you know, giving really wonderful writing, really star-crossed lovers type of vibe. This is the first adult novel by Nina LaCour, who's an award-winning YA author, author, and I absolutely will definitely check out some of her young adult fiction. Um, I loved Herba Buena, and I would definitely say uh, you should check it out. The next book I'm going to recommend as one of my three loves is called Jamila Green Ruins Everything, and it's by Zarka Nawaz. Zarka Nawaz is a Canadian author. She's Muslim. She is the creator of the television series The Little Mosque on the Prairie, which is a CBC-produced Canadian comedy, television comedy. And it's, you know, actually a show that I've never watched before. But Zarka Nawaz is the force to be reckoned with in Canadian television production. And she, this is her first um, book, which she apparently took eight years to write. Jamila Green Ruins Everything is satire. It's comedy. It centers around themes of, and so I just said satire and comedy, but keep in mind, the themes are around Islamic terrorism, mother-daughter relationships, friendships, grief, and loss. And so that's what you have to keep in mind <laughs> when I say satire is that as an author, Zarka Nawaz is not going to take these very serious topics that seriously. And the story is very, very funny, despite the subject matter. This book honestly is so good. Um, it really hit my reading sweet spot. I think I've learned more about people who are different from myself. I really enjoyed the satire and the humor. The characters were extremely lovable and the plot is extremely fast paced. If you like a book that is, you know, fast paced and funny, 
this book is for you, but please remember it is satire. There is a lot of stretching of your disbelief. Um, Let me read you a bit of a synopsis before I get too far down the path of raving about this book. Jamila Green only has one wish. It's to see her memoir on the New York Times bestseller list. And when her dream doesn't come true, she speaks spiritual guidance from her local mosque, which typically she had been had sort of a religious um, falling out, I guess, or a religious a break from her her faith. Um, but the new imam and recent immigrant, Ibrahim Sultan, is he's kind of appalled by how shallow she is, but he agrees to help her on one condition, which is that she perform one good deed. And that good deed kicks off a series of events that include someone being recruited by a terrorist group, and the terrorist group is called the Dominion of the Islamic Caliphate and Kingdom, which, that's right, is shortened to the D-I-C-K, um, which is further <laughs> further shortened to the Dick. So the terrorist group is called <laughs> D-I-C-K, Dick, throughout the entire book. And so you really, I'm telling you that, it's not a spoiler, I'm telling you that because I want you to understand just how much humor the author is going to bring to the subject. The DICK group is meant to be a a satire on ISIS. And and so the there's a series of events, like I said before, these feel like topics you're not supposed to laugh about. Um, but honestly, it is a genuinely extremely funny book. It's also really heartwarming and touching. It can also be quite sad at times. Um, and so based on that, because somebody gets recruited to the DICK, there's the CIA gets involved. Jamila decides to set off on a one woman operation, which takes her to Syria her daughter and husband decide that they need to follow her. And, you know, the series of events sort of kind of runs from there. This is a really, really, really smart dark comedy. There's um, a tremendous amount of information about everything that's gone wrong with American foreign policy in the Middle East. And yeah, you know, the Goodreads summary says this book is compulsively readable, yet unexpectedly touching. And I would absolutely agree with that. I I gave it five stars. I love this book so much. There's so many things about this story that are unbelievable. You really have to be able to read it with a sense of imagination and and be open to what the book is trying to teach you through humor. Um, There are two characters who pray five times a day. And the book actually is sort of marked by these characters' prayers to God, to Allah, during the book, um, which actually gave me really beautiful insight into the Muslim faith and the connection of Muslims to God at multiple points through the day as a way to maintain faith and as a way to keep belief alive. Um, Many times during the day, it, it can be so hard to keep faith and so hard to um, I think keep God front of mind when you're a religious person. And these this subtle and yet very, very powerful author device, this this writing device that Zarka Narwaz uses in the book, which is to give an inside view to the prayerful life of these two characters while they pray uh, the five Muslim prayers of the day is really subtly powerful in a book that is so funny, so tongue-in-cheek, so um, irreverent. I honestly, I, I really love this book. It, it got five stars for me. I think if you're, if you're looking for something a little bit different, a little bit funny, 
If you liked, you know, um, Where'd You Go, Bernadette, or if you like Terry Fallis, this book kind of falls in that vein. This book falls falls in that and, and then probably dials the comedy a little bit darker, a, a lot more irreverent, that's for sure. That's uh, Jamila Green Ruins Everything by Zarka Narwaz. Okay, the last of the three books that I loved is definitely going to be a home run for anybody who loves this podcast, and that's called The Reading List by Sarah Nisha Adams. Oh my gosh, this book is so, so just, just great reading. This is a contemporary fiction book. It centers around themes of reading, grief, mental health, and book lovers. Um, I cannot remember where I found out about this book, probably Instagram, um, but it was a definite five stars for me. Let me read you a bit of the good Goodreads synopsis. Uh, Widower Murkesh lives a quiet life in the London borough of Ealing after losing his beloved wife. He shops every Wednesday, he goes to Temple, and he worries about his granddaughter Priya, who hides in her room reading while he spends his evening watching nature documentaries. Alicia is a bright but anxious teenager working at the local library for the summer when she discovers a crumpled up piece of paper in the back of To Kill a Mockingbird. It's a list of novels that she's never heard of before. Intrigued and a little bored with her slow job at the checkout desk, she impulsively decides to read every book on the list, one after the other. As each story gives up its magic, the books transport Alicia from the painful reality she's facing at home. Alicia passes on the reading list to Murkesh, and the books un- kind of unfolds from there. The reading list is multicultural. It has an amazing cast of characters. It's set in the UK, which I do have a kind of sweet spot for books that are set in the UK. They're exotic adjacent. You know, they're not um, they're not necessarily going to be a setting that I'm not familiar with or a language that I'm not familiar with, but there, there's going to be enough that's just a little bit off um, that's going to teach me something that I'm going to enjoy. Never mind that um, Murkesh is a really amazing, diverse character, um, Muslim man, and I think the multiple points of view in this book are really, really great. You can't help but fall for this young, disgruntled 20-something and this older this old, this older widowed man. And they're, you know, the things about the world that sort of bother both of them are very discreetly different, but they are both sort of somewhat trying to overcome their surliness against the world. They're, they're both trying to make the best of it. And that's just something really hopeful and positive about this book. Uh, it also, it's, it's not, you know, a, a quiet, sleepy read. It's, it has a plot twist or two or three. Um, I actually cried at multiple points in this book. There's so many heartwarming moments, moments that made me really happy and, and sad moments too. I would say this book does contain a trigger warning for suicide and depression. Honestly, if you don't fall for Murkesh, I think there's something wrong with you. So um, if you didn't fall for Murkesh, please go and find me on Instagram at medium.lady. You can find the pink tile in my feed that's related to the most recent episode, and you can tell me why you didn't love Murkesh, but I think we might have to uh, have an Instagram fight after that. I think if you're a book lover, if you love the library, if you love your local library, this book will have your heart instantly. That's The Reading List by Sarah Nisha Adams. Okay, so I'm going to talk about two books that I liked but didn't love, and I'm going to talk about why I liked them but didn't love them. The first book is An Unthinkable Thing by Nicole Lundrigan. Nicole Lundrigan is a Canadian author. This book is what I would call, I guess, a historical thriller. 
yeah, let's call it a historical thriller. It's set in the 1950s, the themes of coming of age, class division. This was recommended to me by my bookish friend, Ali Openlander. Ali often recommends books to me and I recommend books to her. And Ali has been on a couple of different episodes of the podcast. So an unthinkable thing is about a tragedy that brings a young boy into the home of what's perceived on the outside to be a perfect family. Um, however, eventually, the dark secrets of that family begin to sort of close in until, you know, a series of horrible, a series of horrible, horrible events really changes everything. But the book also starts at the end. And so you sort of have an allusion to the horrible event. And you have a sense of the book running in two parallel timelines, or sorry, maybe converging timelines, which is the moment that tragedy brings Tommy into the home of this perfect family. And the moments kind of working back to this horrific event. Now, I will say that sometimes it is good to relearn the same message uh, about yourself. And sometimes books can be really useful to remind you of things about yourself that are really important to remember, but that we often forget because we're not always confident in taking stock of who we are and who we aren't. And sometimes, you know, if you're like me, you say, you know, I don't know if this is for me, but um, other people liked it. And so I probably should check it out because I don't want to miss out on the experience of a recommendation. But I will tell you that for me, I really don't enjoy, I don't get to like a sweet spot for reading for any books that are from the point of view of young kids that are kind of at the center of trauma. So Tommy is 11 and the entire book is really told from his point of view. And so while I could definitely identify that this book is really, really well written, did I enjoy it? Uh, no, I never got to the point where I was enjoying it. And that's really because like I said before, books that are from the point of view of young kids that are at the center of trauma are really on a very, very far end of, of my reading spectrum. But that being said, Thomas Ware, Tommy Ware, as a character, is really compellingly written. As a child protagonist, he's very emotionally intelligent. He's very reflective. Um, but at, also at times, you know, he can just demonstrate a lot of immaturity, like his empathy overrides for him too much of what should otherwise keep him safe. You know, he's always seeing the best in others. And this shows up in so many nuanced and layered ways that the author brings into the book. The main villains in the book are actually truly chilling, um, in part, I think, because of what the author is able to do. Nicole Lundrigan is actually a master at showing, not telling, um, from the eyes of the child. Because he's so immature, he can't exactly interpret what's happening around him. But you're the adult, and so you can actually, it's almost as if you're hearing the story as Tommy's telling it to you, and you're the safe adult that he's choosing to share this information with, and you're reading between the lines of what Tommy is sharing with you, which is really masterful writing, but it's extremely unsettling. This is, I think, I'm sure also why so many authors employ child protagonists in their writing, is that you can really get to a very intimate sense of confidant with a child protagonist because I'm the only adult that's witnessing this story from the eyes of the child and it stirs up emotional senses of responsibility in us. 
And some people enjoy that experience, I'm sure. But this book really personally really got to me. It got to my mood. I found myself more irritable. I found myself on edge. I actually found myself staying up late just so I could finish this book faster and faster. It is a great fall read. I read it in a rainy evening at the cottage. I, it is not a cozy mystery at all. It is very a very uncozy mystery, but it is very atmospheric. And if you're looking for something this fall to kind of dip into, an unthinkable thing might just be the thing you should think about. Haha, <laughs> see what I did there? Hilarious. So that's a book that I liked uh, this summer. Uh, the second book that I liked this summer was a book called Sister Stardust. This book is by Jane Green. Um, Sister Stardust is fiction. It's contemporary fiction set in the 60s. So we went from the 1950s to the 1960s. It focuses on themes of the 60s, drugs, music, Morocco, drugs, more drugs. Um, did I mention drugs? Sex. Yeah, it's it's the 60s through and through. I discovered this book roaming the drugstore. I think I was waiting to pick up a prescription. And I like to roam the book section because typically my 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 pharmacy, I guess it's a farm drugstore, I don't know, Shoppers Drug Mart, which is basically like your Walgreens or a CVS, they have a pretty big book section. Book section, And I like to peruse that because I might find some like bestsellers or some books that are really being pushed by publishers that I might actually not stumble upon because some of the curated ways I stumble on books like Instagram, for example, are not exactly always aligned with those big major publishers. This book is about a story that was actually, this this novel is actually inspired by a true story. It's a reimagined life of a troubled icon, Talitha Getty, which is very much about the swinging 60s. So here's the Goodreads summary. From afar, Talitha's life seemed perfect. In her 20s and already a famous model and actress, she moved from London to a place in Marrakesh with her husband, Paul Getty, the famous oil heir, and there she presided over a swirling expat scene filled with music, art, free love, and a counterculture taking root across the world. But the book is not about Talitha. The book is about a character named Claire. And Claire leaves her small town. She arrives in London, crosses paths with magnetic, you know, Talitha Gary. She's swept off to Marrakesh. They, the two of them become kindred spirits. But, you know, beneath all of this swinging 60s culture, there's always a bit of darkness lurking. And so the book evolves from that series of events. Um, and this sort of this sort of lifestyle becomes more and more precarious as the novel unfolds. And you start to go from this sort of entertained, voyeuristic view into life of the swinging 60s to feeling a little bit more and more unsettled as the book progresses. It just feels like all could not end well. The book really grew on me. At first, I think it felt a little bit inconsistent. Um, I had a hard time liking Claire. Claire changes her name to Cece um, through the book. And I, I don't know, like there was something about that that didn't quite click with me. For her as a main character, she could be really hot or cold, really inconsistent. She could seem really naive and self-centered or really compassionate and empathetic. And, and the author never really quite found the voice for this character, I think because she's playing the audience surrogate. And so we go into the story seeming kind of naive. We go into the story believing all of the glamour of this setting. And then we start to kind of feel bad for these characters. We start to kind of feel like they're actually living in the suffering of their own making sometimes. Um, eventually, I really was swept away by the story, the glamour, the excitement. There is something about how unsustainable that rock star lifestyle is. 
you can feel that tension through the book. Like I said, the second half of the book, you know, you're sort of relieved when the book is over because it does get quite intense. Many lovely layers of texture, character, food, smells, music make it, you know, a really full experience. For me, I have been making reading soundtracks for books that really call to me from a from an atmospheric point of view. And I did make, which I will link in the show notes, a reading soundtrack for Sister Stardust on Spotify. If you want to follow me on Spotify, I love music. I love playlists. You can find me. I'm Medium Lady over on Spotify. And I have a couple of other reading soundtracks for some books. Um, And I made one for Sister Stardust. And I hope you go and enjoy it. The reason this is a like for me and not a love is that I never really fell for the main character. And there was something about that that just, um, I think, I think, you know, made me feel just a little bit twice removed. If I had identified more with the character of Cece, then I think I would have accepted her as an audience surrogate. But I just, there was something about her I really didn't like. And so that's why it's only a like for me and not a love. But I think if you want to kind of get swept away by something atmospheric, something that's not of the moment, you know, it's definitely not like a dystopian future novel. Um, it's, it's very different from a lot of the books that I've read recently. Then you may just really love Sister Stardust by Jane Green. All right, we've got two books left. The last one is going to be a book that bummed me out. And the, the, sorry, the next one is going to be a book that really bummed me out. And that's because I wish I hadn't finished it, (laughs) honestly. And Nick will tell you that the whole time I read this book, I said, I just can't decide if I should just stop reading this book. But it's, it's really dumb and really boring. And I'm not enjoying myself. This book is stupid. I kept saying it. And then when I closed the book, I said to him, well, what a waste of time. I was totally right. And um, I should not have read that book. And that was Last One Alive by Amber Cowie. Um, Last One Alive is a murder mystery. It's an Agatha Christie whodunit type of book. I think this is what's called a locked room novel. So I've never heard of this before, but the concept is basically that there's a cast of characters And if you imagine them all locked in a room with a murderer, then they're all going to start to die one by one. And that's just kind of like the um, plot device of the book. And as a reader, we're supposed to just accept that these characters are going to be dying one by one and that that's going to be fun to read. But I don't know. For me, I really was, I found this book to be such a bummer. I discovered this book. It was the last of the Globe and Mail thriller recommendations. If you've listened to my previous podcast, you know that I pulled three books from the Globe and Mail, which is a national um, newspaper here in Canada, and they had done a full spread on new summer thrillers. One of them I really didn't like. This one I really didn't like. And then the third one I actually thought was quite good and very well crafted. So it just goes to show is you have to pull your books from all different places to get closer and closer to reading more of what you like and less of what you don't. Let me give you a bit of a synopsis of Last One Alive by Amber Cowie. A team of researchers exploring the myth of a witch find their numbers mysteriously dwindling in this irresistible psychological thriller for fans of Ruth Ware, Sherry LaPena, and Lucy Foley. Those are other thriller authors. Best-selling debut novelist Penelope Berkowitz is desperate for an inspiration for a second book. With the help of her new boyfriend, she embarks on a research trip with a clue-like team of professionals, ex-lovers, and estranged family members to investigate the myth of a witch on Stone Point, a remote coastal outcropping of the Pacific Northwest. 
For over a century, the cabin on the point stood vacant after the violent death of the original owner and the disappearance of his wife, until a young couple decided to turn it into an eco-lodge. Shortly after starting the renovation, however, they suddenly ceased all contact with others and were never heard of again. Given the area's mystery his mysterious history, Penelope is certain there's a story to be found in the isolated region. But soon after arriving on the point's wind-whipped shores, things begin to go awry for the team, etc., etc. <laughs> so... I learned, again, like I learned a lot about myself from An Unthinkable Thing, I did learn a lot about myself from this book and what I should really avoid in my reading life. And that goes like this. Anything described as an Agatha Christie type of book. Never again. Never again. <laughs> when I see Agatha Christie, I will run next time. Um, anything in the murder mystery where the cast gets killed off one by one. Honestly, it's just like, why? I know there there's only going to be a few people left at the end. Someone's going to have a mysterious return from the dead. Someone you thought was dead was going to come back and save the day. Everything I thought was going to happen did. The only reason I did keep reading this book is I couldn't figure out who done it. I think if I'd been able to figure it out sooner, then I would have abandoned the book. But it really, it really like kept me reading just so I could know who did it. Come on. Oh, I'm so disappointed in myself. Um, the other thing I should avoid in my reading life is geography. I've talked about this before. Uh, this book started with a map, thankfully, which helped me a fair bit. But um, then there was a lot of discussion of like the ridge and the cliff and the waterfall and to the west of the thing and the thing. And I've talked about this before. And whenever books do that, they start to describe geography. My brain just starts to turn into like a series of ones and zeros on a black background with green and I just start to I start to zone out. This book had that too. Um, the other thing I really don't like are one-dimensional characters that, you know, make bad decisions. At one point, <laughs> at one point, the murderer, well, you don't know they're the murderer at this time. They say to the main character, it's bad to make assumptions. It could really get you into trouble. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. Also, this woman talks nonstop about her body, about her being curvy, about having gained a bit of weight. It was just like, get over it. I'm I'm like, there's nothing interesting about all she's thinking about is how her clothes are fitting her while people are dying off one by one. And I'm sure there's one point when there's like the food gets rationed because there's a power outage and she's like, well, I'll just eat less and that will help with my weight loss. Like, get out of here. Gross. I'm getting all riled up now. Okay, so that was Last One Alive by Amber Cowie. I I'm not recommending this to anybody, but you know I love a dissenting opinion, and we're here on Goodreads, so let's see if we can find a five-star review of this book. Not a lot. 18% of reviews were five stars. Average rating was 3.59 on Goodreads, but I have said before that you can never trust the average rating on Goodreads. Um, let's find a five-star review. Okay, Christina McDonald's. Oh, Christina McDonald's an author. So I don't know, maybe maybe she knows Amber Cowie. Hang on, hang on. Let's find let's find another one. Oh, interesting. A lot of people who have reviewed this book with five stars are authors. Huh? That's weird. Okay, well, here we're gonna read one by someone named Karen. A modern day Agatha Christie. Run, no, don't do it. It's a trap. Okay, just kidding. Okay, this is what Karen says. Five stars. A modern-day Agatha Christie, the atmospheric, locked-room thriller, like I said before, has it all. Set on a rugged and remote island in the Pacific Northwest, Cowie's descriptions are woven in so seamlessly that at first you don't notice you've transcended from a place of exquisite beauty to an eerie and hauntingly tense setting. 
She writes so skillfully that I could smell the acrid earth and feel the deep cold and dampness in my bones. Well, that's an interesting point. It's raining the entire... They're very cold the whole time. And there's a lot of description about how cold they are. Yeah, did it make me feel cold? Probably. It probably affected how I was feeling. Okay, Karen says, when one by one members of the mismatched group disappear only to turn up dead, the tension ratchets up at breakneck speed. No, I disagree. Not breakneck speed. This book also, like, the tension ratchets up early on, and then it just kind of is like a slow, slow murderers of all the other people one by one. And you're like, huh, I guess. Oh, you're dead now. Okay. Darn. Too bad. I don't care about anybody in this book. Karen says, last one alive will keep you up all night guessing and second guessing who the killer is until shockingly twisted end. I can't recommend this book highly enough. So yeah, you know what? Karen makes a good point, which is like, if you like Agatha Christie, if you like atmospheric books, if you like a locked locked room thriller, that's hard to say, a locked room thriller, if you like books where it's raining the whole time, you're going to love this book. It checks off all of those boxes. I still would say that the main heroine is totally vapid and uh, unlikable. She doesn't die. Spoiler alert. (laughs) I don't know. I couldn't understand why the main character had to be written that way. It just just really distracted from the book. That was Last One Alive by Amber Cowie. Okay, now I am going to end this episode on a positive high note and telling you if there is one book recommendation I wish you would take from this episode, it is this book. It is called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. And I can barely talk about this book. I loved it so, so much. This book is literary fiction. It focuses around themes of family, friendship, grief, life and death, and technology in the 90s. Honestly, I'm like speechless. So the best thing to do is to just get into the Goodreads synopsis. Two friends, often in love but never lovers, come together as creative partners in the world of video game design, where success brings them fame, joy, tragedy, duplicity, and ultimately, a kind of immortality. It starts on a bitter cold day in the December of his junior year at Harvard. Sam Mazur exits a subway car and sees, in the hordes of people waiting on the platform, Sadie Green. He calls her name, and for a moment, she pretends she hasn't heard him, but then she turns, and a game begins a legendary collaboration that will launch them to stardom. These friends, intimate since childhood, borrow money, beg favors, and before even graduating college, have created their first blockbuster video game, Ichigo. And the story uh, unfolds from there. This book spans 30 years. It's brilliantly written. It's intricately created where with multiple story storylines where the characters come away and, and together again. Um... It really examines how we grow together in friendship and in love. It it really examines the things that we bring into our friendships that have often nothing to do with that friendship, the ways we see ourselves and the way we want to be seen and loved by others. The bottom of the synopsis says it is a love story, but it is not one you have read before. And that that is really true. That is like probably one of the most moving things you could say about this book. Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin is, it's a gift of a book. It's really a really beautifully crafted story about people that you will care about. You will want to know what happens to them and you will read it and love it. You honestly will. It will make you cry. It will make you laugh. 
I discovered this book, a friend of mine, Megan, who I actually went to high school with. I'm friends with her on Goodreads. Hi, Megan. Had rated this on Goodreads as a five-star read. And then my other good bookish friend on Instagram, Jillian, um, also rated it five stars. And I knew at that point I had to read it as soon as possible. Jillian has been in the Cozy Christmas Reads episode with Allie and I. The last few chapters honestly had me with a lump in my throat, not so much for the sadness, but there is that. It's really for the bittersweet realization that that story was coming to an end. I wish I could forget this book and read it again for the first time. It is honestly, it's fantastic. It's lyrical. The writing is so smooth. If you're a gamer, I'm not a gamer, but my husband is a gamer. Um, there are a lot of old games that are name dropped in this book, and it was fun for me to pause my reading and just read out some of these video games to Nick, um, who got really nostalgic about especially some of the lists that um, I would give him. The characters grow up, but in the end of the book, they're actually about my age, and, and you've finally gotten to know them, and that's actually kind of how I feel about myself. I've, I'm growing up, and I've grown up, and I feel like I know myself better than I ever have before, and I look forward to kind of getting to know myself a little bit better, and, and that is kind of how the characters felt by the end of this book, is that they had reached enough of an age that they had really kind of gotten to know themselves, and they could actually be better friends to one another because they knew themselves just that little bit better. They didn't need their friends to know them for them to know themselves. I think anyone who needs a read that is hopeful a plot that is kind of long and slow. This book is very character-driven. It's less plot-driven. Anyone who loves friendship, I think you uh, really like deep subject matter. You're going to really, really love this book. I'm honestly obsessed with this book. Everyone I talk to has loved it, and I know you are going to love it too. And if you want to talk about this book with me, honestly, I I'm happy. I would drop everything to talk more about this book. This book actually motivates me to start a book club. And I've dabbled with the idea off and on of starting a book club. And, and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow just push me to the edge of, of starting a book club. I would just have to kind of take a moment and try to uh, find the time to start a book club on top of everything else. Okay, so that is six books. Three loves, two likes, one bummer, and one book that I am obsessed with. We talked about Yerba Buena by Nina LaCour, Jamila Green Ruins Everything by Zara, um, Zarka Narwaz, The Reading List by Sarah Nisha Adams, An Unthinkable Thing by Nicole Lundrigan, Sister Stardust by Jane Green, Last One Alive by Amber Cowie, and last is Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. Can you find the one common thread between all of these books? If you can, I want you to find me on Instagram at medium.lady and comment on the post that centers around this episode. What is the one common theme of all of these books? They are diverse. They are different. And it's not that they're all novels. I hope that you are having a great reading life wherever you are. I want you to know that these episodes are really meant to encourage you to get started experimenting in your own reading life. Read things that you don't like, read things that you absolutely love, and talk to people about the books that you're reading. Ask people, hey, are you reading anything cool lately? Or what's a book that you're obsessed with right now? Or tell me about the last book you read that really wasn't for you. Uh, tell me about a book you finished that you wish you hadn't. <laughs> if anybody asked me that question, I would say, well, let me tell you about Last One Alive by Amber Cowie. Stay far, far away. <laughs> Also, I hope that you also feel encouraged to diversify how you're finding your books. 
Um, follow bookstores on Instagram, follow bookstagrammers, follow publishing houses on Instagram, but get out, get out of Instagram too. There's going to be podcasts that will recommend books. There's magazines and newspapers. There's uh, people you can follow on Goodreads who are basically book influencers. You can find books in the grocery store. You can find books at Target. You can find books when you're on the subway and like take a peek at what people are reading just love books so much. I'm so glad to have done another book episode for you. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Erin. This has been Medium Lady Talks episode 44, and I will see you again soon. Bye!